The scripture reading for today is from Deuteronomy 15, 7 through 11. If among you one of your brothers should become, uh, should become poor in any of your towns within your lands that the Lord your God is giving you, you should not harden your heart or shut your hand against the poor brother. You shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient uh, for his needs, whatever it may be. Take care lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart, and you say, The seventh year, the year of release, is near, and your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother, and you give him nothing, and he cry to the Lord against you, and you be guilty of sin. You shall give to him freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him, because of for the Lord, uh, excuse me, Uh, Because for this, the Lord your God will bless you in all of your work and all that you undertake. For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. And from Luke 10, 25 through 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. He said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion." He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and there uh, and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Claire. Uh, Let's take a moment and pray just real quickly and ask God to uh, help us understand this part of his word. Father, we come now and ask again that you would be at work among us through the scriptures. Help us to understand what you are saying to us here and not just to acquire more knowledge, but to believe that these things are true and meaningful for us now. We pray that you would teach us by your Holy Spirit and also that you would motivate us, motivate us to care for those who are poor in particular tonight. Help us to be a people who give of ourselves for the good of those who have need. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, seeking the power and help of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Tonight, our theme, let's just jump right, right into it, is the theme of poverty, the theme of poverty. And I want to begin just by quoting a statistic, a couple of statistics to you. 
This one was not made up on the spot, although 87% of all statistics are made up on the spot, I hear. Um, Two billion people in the world live on $2 a day or less. That's approximately one-third of the population of the globe live on approximately $2 a day or less. Now, that's one of those statistics that you just don't really know what to do with. You think, oh, my gosh, that's incredible, but the number is so big that we can't really even take it in. But here's another one. In our own city of San Antonio, which is the poorest city in America of over a million people, I read this week that one in 12 residents in San Antonio live either at or beneath the poverty line. One in 12 residents. Poverty is an important issue in our society. It's also an important issue to Jesus and to Jesus' kingdom. We're in the middle of this series that we started a couple of weeks ago called Kingdom Come. It's a five-week series where we're looking at what the kingdom of God is and what it means for us to inhabit in our lives the values of the kingdom of God as followers of Jesus And tonight we're going to think together about how we as kingdom people, if you're here and you're a follower of Christ, you are a part of the kingdom of God, how we have both a responsibility and the privilege of seeking to care for the poor, the poor in our midst, the poor among us. The Bible actually has a good bit to say on the subject of poverty. And so to give us a pretty fair, balanced treatment of what the Bible says about poverty tonight, I've selected these two different scriptures for us, which Claire read, one from a fairly obscure book in the Bible, the fifth book of the Bible, the book of Deuteronomy, uh, and a very obscure passage that I'm guessing not many of you knew immediately offhand. And the other passage from Luke's gospel is one of the most well-known stories in all of the Bible. Whether you're a, a Christian or not, or if you're not sure, my guess is you've heard before, in some case, in some scenario, the parable that was read, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And when you combine those two texts together, um, I think they serve to help us think through our role and our calling to care for the poor, to care for the poor in our midst. Finally, before we jump into these passages, it should go without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway, that poverty is, especially in our day, an extremely complex issue. Um, Tonight, we're not going to by any means cover exhaustively the entire subject of poverty, particularly uh, the really important question of how the local church can best go about helping in the fight against poverty. I'm going to touch on that, but we're not going to talk about it a lot. Um, But before I jump in, I will recommend to you two books, if you're interested in this topic, that do touch on it in some detail that I have found to be extremely helpful. One book is by two men named Steve Corbett and Brian Fickert, and it's called When Helping Hurts, When Helping Hurts, and these two men are believers in Jesus and experts on the subject of poverty. It's the best book out there on the subject. A second book is called Ministries of Mercy, The Call of the Jericho Road, written by Tim Keller, whom if you've been around Christ Church for long, you've probably heard me reference before. So those are two books that I think are very, very helpful that will go into much more detail, obviously, than what I can do in 25 or 30 minutes tonight. But that said, I want to look at this, these two passages with you, and here's how I want to do it. I want to ask of these texts three questions, and here they are. This is going to frame our thinking tonight. First, what should we do for the poor? Second, which poor should we do it for? And third, how should we do it? 
What should we do for the poor? Which poor should we do it for? And how should we do it? Make sense? Hopefully it will when we're finished as much as it does now. Okay, so first then, what should we do for the poor? Let's look again at that passage in Deuteronomy. If you have a Bible, you're welcome to open it up. Deuteronomy 15, verses 7 through 11, I think answer this question very, very clearly. This book was written as sort of a final testament from Moses after he had led God's people out of Egypt into the promised land. They were right on the border of the promised land. Moses is not allowed to go in, and so he preaches these final four or five sermons that now make up for us the biblical book of Deuteronomy. And in this book, we see in numerous places God's concern for the poor, both among his people and outside of the nation of Israel. And in this passage, we, saw, we see one of the most clear uh, reminders to us or teachings for us about what we as followers of Christ should do for the poor. And here's the bottom line, the way you can sum it up. We are to give and care, give to and care for the poor. We are to give to and care for the poor generously, freely, and regularly. That's the entire point of this passage. Look at it with me. He says we are to give to the poor generously. It's repeated multiple times. Looking in verse 7 and verse 8. You shall open your hand to him, that is, your poor brother, and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Verse 8. Verse 7 says you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother. Verse 11. There will never cease to be poor in the land among you. Therefore, I command you again, open wide your hand to your brother. If there are any among us, the passage says very clearly, that are poor, then we are to give to them sufficient for his or her need. We should not harden our hearts. We are to give to them generously. The text also tells us we are to give to them freely. That's the point of verse 9. You might not have picked up on that or understand what it means as it was read through for us one time. It says that you should take care that your thought, the thoughts of your heart aren't unworthy. And you think, oh, the seventh year is near. Therefore, I'm, I'm not going to lend to this person. What Moses is saying there, he's just talked about in the beginning of chapter 15. In Old Testament Israel, every seven years, the law stipulated that all loans, all debts among the people of Israel were to be wiped away. They were to be done away with. And so what Moses is saying here to God's people is this. If someone comes to you, say, in the sixth year and the eighth month and asks you for a loan, you shouldn't think, man, there's no way I'm going to get this money back, especially with any interest, so I'm going to not do it. You shouldn't be thinking about how you're going to get in return when you give to someone else. Rather, you should give to them freely, not grudging in your heart. If you don't do that, the cry of the Lord is against you, of the poor person, and you, be, you will be guilty of sin, he says. So we are to give to the poor generously, we're to give to the poor freely, and then we're to give to the poor regularly. I think we see that in the text implicitly. Because the text has heavy repetition, just in the very language itself. The Old Testament is written in Hebrew. And in the language of Hebrew, there's no exclamation point. There's no italics. There's no capital letters or lowercase letters. There's no way to put words on a page and have someone think, oh my goodness, this is very important, other than to repeat 
the same thing again and again and again. Which is why you see that, by the way, all the time in the Old Testament. If something is repeated, it means it's really important. It's repeated here multiple times. And I think that part of the thing we can take away from that is that we are to care for the poor generously and freely. And not just once. We're to do it regularly. It should be a normative part of our lives as individual Christians. And as a community of Christians gathered who are following Jesus. So what are we to do for the poor? We are to care for them and give to them generously, freely, and regularly. Okay, pause. Think with me. This is coming up each week in this series. It's coming up in my heart as I study, and it's coming up in the sermon because that's what's coming out of my heart. The way we treat the poor is an extension of our understanding and faith in the gospel. The way that you care about the poor is a reflection of how much you really get the good news of Christianity. When you care for the poor generously and freely and repeatedly, that is a sign that the gospel of Jesus is at work changing you. Why? Why is it such a clear sign of that? Here's why. Again and again in the Old Testament, if you read through it, you can find this multiple times in Deuteronomy. When God commands the people to do something like this, he ends by saying, for I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. That's why you should do it. Why is your concern for the poor a clear sign of your understanding of the gospel? Because caring for the poor and the needy is one of the best ways to openly and tangibly demonstrate that you understand just how much you need God to rescue and to care for you. Our entire faith as Christians, if you're not a Christian, then here's the key. The entire faith of Christianity is based on the fact that God gave himself to us. He cared for us when we were utterly helpless, when we were utterly dependent upon him and utterly undeserving of his care. And the more we recognize our own poverty, the more compassion we have for those in poverty. The less we care for the poor, the more we prove we don't really understand our own spiritual state. The less you care for the poor, the more you show that you don't really understand what God's like. And also, you don't really understand yourself. You don't realize how spiritually impoverished you are and how generous, freely, gracious God has been to you. When I think about ideas like that, I feel conviction. And I also think about um, a mission trip I took a number of years ago now to Greece with a number of college students. And what we primarily did on this mission trip was spend time on the university campus in Athens and spend time with refugees. There's almost a million refugees in the city of Athens. And I met one young man uh, during my time there who was a refugee to Athens from Afghanistan, and his name was Solomon. Uh, His parents had been, his whole family had been killed uh, and when his house got bombed during the war in Afghanistan and somehow miraculously he wasn't home when that happened and he ran away, escaped, didn't know what else to do and somehow made his way to the middle of the streets of Athens surrounded by urchins and impoverished people all over the place. Uh, but through the ministry of one of the local churches there that we had partnered with, Solomon had become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. His life had been transformed. He had become a Christian. 
And he found himself five days a week, two times a day, working in the local soup kitchens that were ministries of the local churches there. And that's how I met Solomon. I met him one day in the soup kitchen when we were serving other refugees, and he told me his story, and obviously that's a pretty remarkable story. It's a story you don't hear very often if you grew up in the middle of Texas like I did, and he didn't even need to tell me. He didn't even need to tell me. You could just see on his face that the reason he was so committed to caring for the refugee, for the poor, for the lonely for the sojourner in his midst, is because that that's exactly what he was. And God cared for him. He was super cognizant of that fact because the gospel had very, very clearly and very, very radically transformed his heart. Jonathan Edwards, a famous 18th century American theologian, has an amazing quote from his sermon called The Obligations to Charity about this point, why you should give to the poor because it's a reflection of your understanding of the gospel. Listen to this. He says, Consider how much God has done for us, how greatly he has loved us, what he has given us when we were so unworthy and when he could have no addition to his happiness by us. Consider that silver and gold and earthly crowns were in his esteem but small things to give us. And he has therefore given us his own son. Christ loved and pitied us when we were poor. And he laid out himself to help and even shed his own blood for us without grudging. He did not think much to deny himself and to be at great cost for us vile wretches in order to make us rich and to clothe us with kingly robes when we were naked, to feast us at his own table with food, infinitely costly when we were starving, to advance us from the dunghill and set us among princes and make us to inherit the throne of his glory and give us the enjoyment of the greatest wealth and plenty to all eternity. Edwards is worth reading. Do you believe that? Do you you understand what God has done for you in Jesus? Do you see the situation you were in apart from his free love? If you do, then that same love of God turns you outward to care for the poor. What are we to do for the poor? We are to care for them generously, freely, and repeatedly. So secondly, which poor are we to do it for? You know, at this point, um, we tend to get overwhelmed with a number like I quoted at the beginning of the sermon, right? Two billion people. You know, like, what do I even do about that? Where Where can I even start? That's one thing that holds us back. But another thing that holds us back is that our hearts are by nature stingy. And we tend to think about caring for the poor. And then it becomes sort of a death by a thousand qualifications, In other words, we want to qualify what we will do and when we will do it and who we will do it for. We set conditions up on our concern for those who are poor. For example, oftentimes we might say or think we only want to care for Christian poor. We're only going to help those people who are willing to help themselves. We're only to help those who deserve it. And so for those two reasons, the fact that poverty is such an overwhelming issue and that our hearts are naturally stingy, it's important to ask this question, which poor are we to care for? And that's where the parable of the Good Samaritan comes in, in Luke chapter 10. That's exactly the purpose of Jesus telling this parable. The Pharisee, the religious guy, has asked, who is my neighbor? Verse 29, and then Jesus goes straight into this very, very famous story. 
In other words, who do I have a responsibility to care for and to be merciful to? That's the question. And the answer of the parable is shocking in its liberality. It's shocking in its grace and extent. You probably know the story. It was just read. It's a simple one. A man's going down the road. He falls among robbers. He's beat up. He's half dead. And then two religious people pass by. And it's like Seinfeld. Final episode of Seinfeld. Some of you might know what I'm talking about. See the guy getting robbed and they say, yeah, that's just too bad. I'm sorry for him. Uh, That's exactly what they did. They they walk by and they say, someone really should help that poor fella. I hope hope he gets the help he needs eventually. And they walk right on by, walk right on by. And then thirdly, the Samaritan comes along. Paul Miller preached on John 4 just a few weeks ago. And if you were here for that, you might remember that he told us that Samaritans and Jews were bitter enemies. They hated each other. There's racial tension here. There's socioeconomic tension here. There's religious tension here. There's national ethnic tension here. These two people are those who despise one another. And it's the Samaritan man who stops and doesn't just give him a nice pat on the back, but at great expense to himself, both expense of time and expense of money, makes this man's life whole again. He cares for him generously and freely. And the point that Jesus is making is that if a Samaritan is a Jew's neighbor, then the person who is least like you in the world, socioeconomically, religiously, racially, or ethnically, is also your neighbor. Jesus is speaking here to the conservative religious theologians of his day. And he's saying that you have fundamentally misunderstood what my law teaches and what I am like when you think that the only people you are responsible for are the people who believe like you and look like you and vote like you and make what you make. You are responsible for any poor person that comes into your midst that you are able to help. Any poverty that we encounter in our daily lives that we can reasonably alleviate, we should seek to alleviate in healthy and in wise ways. That's the point. Which poor should you give to? You should give to the poor that you come across, the ones that are nearest to you, that it's reasonable and sensible for you to wisely and graciously give to. Now, immediately, our hearts begin to object. Poof, 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 poof. Edwards, in his sermon, lists 11 objections. That's very Edwards. I'm just going to give you three really quickly. Three things you might be thinking at this point, right? The reason I I don't want to give to poor people, the reason I don't think I should do it is because they're lazy. They're sinful. They're addicts. They're just going to use it on drugs. They don't deserve my charity. He's going to go buy a 40 in the corner store as soon as I give him money. And maybe that's not the best way to give to the poor. That's one subject that the books will help you in. But the objection, the objection at its heart is what's problematic because it shows the selfishness of our hearts. And here, Edwards brings up the parable of the Good Samaritan. And he says that the clear point is that even your worst enemy is your neighbor, whom you are called to love. That's the radical nature of the Christian ethic. And furthermore, Jesus in John 13 says that you should love as I have loved you. Think about this. What does the gospel say? Did you deserve for Jesus to care for you? 
Were you addicted to sin when Jesus came and died for you? Yeah. Do you make a mockery of his grace to you every day by continuing to use it and continuing to sin? Yeah. Were you Jesus' buddy and pal when he came and died on the cross and gave everything for you not to be poor anymore but to be spiritually wealthy? Yeah, you weren't his buddy and his pal. You were his worst enemy. You hated him. You stabbed him in the back at every moment you got. Did that stop Jesus from dying for you? No. Jesus died for his enemies. He died for those who were opposed to him. He died for those who make mincemeat of his grace all the time by the way they continue to live. He died for spiritual addicts. And if Jesus did that and you believe it, then that objection falls flat. The gospel calls you to love and give and care for people who aren't necessarily going to pick themselves up immediately and care for themselves in the way we think they should. Another objection. Other people should do it. You know, the liberals think the government should do it. The conservatives think that eventually capitalism will do it. I'm not going to comment on those issues right now. But the bottom line is, whether or not other people are doing their job or not does not alleviate you from your responsibility to do yours. You know, think about if Jesus had done that with us. Think about if Jesus walks by and sees us spiritually naked and dead and worthless and penniless on the road and says, that poor guy... That's so bad. I hope one of his family members finds out about this. Maybe I should call 911 and have an ambulance come pick him up and take him to the ER. I sure hope that he gets the help he needs eventually. Someone else should really do something about this. I'm going to call my city councilman. Maybe they'll figure out what a problem this is. If Jesus had done that for us, we would still be lying there dead on the side of the road. And if anyone could have rightfully said, it's not my responsibility to take care of that guy. That guy's hated me for years. It was Jesus. But that's not what he does. No, he, at the cost of his own lifeblood, gives himself for you. If you believe that he's done that for you, then you inevitably do it for others. A third objection. I don't have enough to help the poor. There's a million rich people in the world. I've got my own bills to pay. Let's let people that have some excessive income take care of them. Well, certainly, you know, in some sense, that is a valid objection. The poor themselves can't help the poor. But most of us, frankly, in a church like Christ Church, in our socioeconomic bracket, don't fall into that situation. The, uh, the objection, someone else should do it, or excuse me, the objection, I don't have enough to help the poor, really usually means I don't have enough to help that isn't going to cost me something that I want. I don't really want to give generously and freely because then I won't, I won't be able to do something that I enjoy. And that's the whole point of the gospel again. Real love, real grace, real concern costs the giver something. It costs to care for those who are poor. And that objection falls flat as well. Edwards writes this. In many cases, we may, by the rule of the gospel, be obliged to give to others when we cannot do it without suffering ourselves. How else is that rule of bearing one another's burdens fulfilled? If we never be obliged to relieve others' burdens, but when we can do it without burdening ourselves, then how do we bear our neighbor's burdens when we bear no burden at all? 
Which poor should we generously care for? The poor who are our neighbors, who we can reasonably help in our day-to-day lives. Not just Christians, not just Republicans or Libertarians or Democrats, not just those who make us promises to reform. Let's talk really quickly then thirdly about how best to do that. How? How to do it? How to care for the poor? And I'll make this point short, okay? Three things I want to say really quickly. But before that, this is by far the most complex of these three questions. The Bible gives us very clear answers on our responsibility for the poor, as we've seen. In the name of Jesus and in the power of the gospel, our responsibility is to care for them. But I don't want to oversimplify it at this point. Poverty, as I've mentioned already, is extremely complex. It exists um, of a mixture for a mixture of reasons, a mixture of individual responsibility and systemic injustice and just, I guess what I'll call unhappy providence. Um, and I would again point you to the two books I mentioned at the outset for more. But let me just say a few things here and then we're finished, okay? How do we care for the poor well? First, there's an entire office, an entire ministry, an entire group of people that Jesus has called in his church to lead us in this sort of ministry. And those men and women are called, those men are called deacons. Women help them. They do diaconal work as well. And so the main way that the church functionally in its day-to-day life together cares for poor people is through the ministry of the diaconate, through the ministry of mercy that God calls certain people to have a heart for and to have wisdom in and to be concerned about. Those are the people that lead the congregation forward in loving and caring for the poor in wise ways. Christ Church does not yet have deacons because we're a new church plant, but someday we will, actually quite soon, within a year, we will elect and ordain men to be deacons in this church to lead us in just that kind of ministry. And so if God has put on your heart a concern for poverty, a concern to alleviate injustice in our city, then perhaps he's calling you to be a deacon. If you know someone at Christ Church whom you think that has those sorts of gifts, read Acts chapter 6, read 1 Timothy chapter 3, and Titus chapter 1. Perhaps you should speak to them about serving as a deacon. So one practical thing is that the diaconal ministry of the church is the spearhead ministry for alleviating poverty in our church. Second thing, The church primarily does have a responsibility to care for their own poor. To care for the poor in our midst. And by in our midst, I mean those who are a part of us. The text itself, Deuteronomy 15, said, There should be no poor among you, you, Israel. Galatians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says, Do good as often as you are able to all people. And by do good, it's meant there, give, care, do ministry of mercy. Do good to all people, but especially to the household of faith. And so we are responsible to care for one another first. But we aren't responsible to care for one another only. And we're not responsible to care for one another first so that we can all just kind of be fat and happy. We're responsible to care for one another first so that then we will be stronger and more able to go out and care for the world as we follow Jesus in his mission. Third, and lastly, there are different types of poverty and different types of poverty alleviation. And this is getting into a big subject, so I'm going to do this really quickly. There's basically three ways to alleviate poverty. There's relief, there's rehabilitation, and there's development. Relief is when the giver gives to the receiver directly. It's something like working at a crisis pregnancy center or at a food bank or at a soup kitchen. Um, 
rehabilitation is, is like when people go and help others participate in their own recovery. Like when a tsunami destroys some island in Southeast Asia and people go to help. That's rehabilitation effort. That's them helping those people, people themselves put their towns back together. And development is a long-term Deeply complex, empowering process in which all the people involved become more and more who God made them to be. And that involves huge ministries like World Vision and International Justice Mission and doing things like microfinancing small businesses and clean water programs and economic sustainability. Now, that said, in my opinion, the thing for the church to do is focus primarily on relief. The first of those three, caring in ways that we deem wise and helpful for the poor among us through direct contact, caring for the poor by feeding them at a food bank, by helping at a CPC, by doing things like that. And the church should also support through prayer and through giving other nonprofit organizations that have experts and resources to do rehabilitation and development. So for you to give to an organization like World Vision or for a church to support a big foreign mission movement like we're doing with Isaiah 55 Ministries that's at work in many ways rebuilding an entire community is what I mean by that. So how do we best care for the poor? Well, we don't try to solve all of the world's problems tomorrow. We wisely look around and see who is here and what is God already doing. What are ways that we as a church can partner with good organizations and provide relief? And what are good organizations doing around the city and around the world to help the development and rehabilitation process? And how can we, in a second-hand way, partner with them? Now, there's much more to be said about that, obviously. But I did want to give you a little bit of fodder to think about how we can go about caring for the poor. Let me say one more thing here at this point. I mentioned last week that we're starting this new Mercy and Justice team as we get going as a church. It's being led by Jimmy Raffetto. You can find out about it on the city. Jimmy, raise your hand. Jimmy's right there. You can talk to Jimmy about it after church if you're interested. And we're just beginning to develop our own efforts as a church in caring for the poor in our midst. God has called us to this. Not out of a sense of guilt, not out of a sense of let's be the nice white people that go help those that aren't as fortunate as ourselves, but out of a sense of the grace of the gospel and what it does to us. If we really believe the gospel, if we believe that the gospel changes everything, then that gospel itself sends us out into the world to care in particularly for the poor. May it be so with us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us in the gospel. Thank you that when we were poor, when we were dead in sin, when we were weak and helpless, you came and rescued us at great cost to yourself. Thank you that you did not just stand on the sidelines or pass by us on the other side of the road, but you you gave of yourself to make us whole again, to redeem us, to bring us newness of life. Father, as you have done this for us spiritually, we're being reminded again week after week, we are being called now by you through proclamation of the gospel and through deeds of mercy and justice to meet the needs of people in our lives, in our neck of the woods, in our city who have deep material needs, who are victims of of injustice, who uh, who are impoverished either through tragedy that has nothing to do with them or through past mistakes that they've made. Lord, help us to be a church 
as we're just getting started in these ministries, to wisely love and care for the poor among us. Helps to do this because it's very clear in your scriptures that that's what Jesus calls to calls us to. And because we know how much you have done for us. We pray that you would help us do these things and to more and more see the need around us and have compassion as you have compassion. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.